Hey, this is Taylor Gray, Ezra Bridger from Star Wars Rebels, and you are listening to the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Taylor Gray and Ezra Bridger say out. Ezra, please, get out of there! I can't do that. Welcome to episode 40 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we are recording this episode on Tuesday, January 21st, 2020. So uh, this week, we're going to have a special guest on the show, uh, Yoshi Vu from ILM. He is one of the senior artists who has worked on both The Mandalorian as well as The Rise of Skywalker, and we'll be getting to him in just a few minutes. Uh, But first, I did want to do a couple of housekeeping issues, the first being that we are going to be doing a giveaway of a Rise of the Resistance mug that I picked up uh, back in December when I was at Walt Disney World Resort. So we have that travel tumbler and the giveaway for that out on our social media. Uh, You can find us out there on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest at JTA Podcast. Uh, Really all you need to do is retweet or share that post and comment, and that will get you entered to win that particular mug, and I'll be doing that giveaway on February 1st. So you got some time to enter. Uh, We're getting a lot of great feedback on that and a lot of great uh, participation, so really looking forward to giving that away to one of our listeners, and it's just kind of a a way that we can show our appreciation for you guys tuning in each and every week. Uh, We've definitely seen our listener numbers growing and certainly one of the ways that you guys can help the show grow uh, in addition to following along is to tell a friend about the podcast. If you enjoy it and you think that it's something that a friend or family member might enjoy, definitely let them know that we're out there. Uh, We can be reached via email at uh, jtapodcast at gmail.com and they can find all of our episodes out on our website at jtapodcast.com. So uh, definitely tell a friend, tell uh, anyone you know, and we will keep growing. And as we keep growing, we're going to be able to keep doing more and more great things like the giveaways. Uh, the other thing to note is uh, it may be a little late for anyone listening to the podcast, but I've also been doing a lot of collaboration with Scarif Podcast and some of their online uh, live streams that they've been putting out on YouTube. So definitely go check them out on YouTube at Scarif Podcast, and you can find those episodes uh, where I kind of join in with Ro and some of the other folks that he has on their podcast to talk about all kinds of Star Wars-related issues. All right, before we jump into this week's main topic, I do just want to take a quick moment to thank our new sponsor, Lucas Family Travel. Are you interested in taking a trip to the planet of Batuu in the ultra-immersive world of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at either the Walt Disney World Resort or the Disneyland Resort? If so, the one thing that I can tell you from personal experience is that planning any Disney vacation can be completely overwhelming. That's why you need the expert planning services of Casey Lucas and Lucas Family Travel. Casey can help you to select the perfect resort, book your fast passes, your dining reservations, including those hard-to-get Oga's Cantina reservations, and even recommend the perfect time to visit based on the historical crowd levels. And the best part is that all of these services are completely free to you and included as part of your Disney vacation package. 
So visit lucasfamilytravel.com today to book your vacation package and enter the promo code JTA podcast in the comments to receive a free gift with your booking. Again, that's L-U-C-A-S familytravel.com to book your trip today. And as they say on Batu, may the spires keep you. Right, so thanks again to Casey at Lucas Family Travel for sponsoring the podcast. And we are back with uh, Yoshi Vu, who is a senior artist at uh, ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, and has done work recently on both the Rise of Skywalker as well as the Mandalorian. And he was kind enough to join us today to talk a little bit about what he does and kind of how he got into the business. So, Yoshi, thanks for coming on the show. No, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I told you a little bit about this prior to us getting started, but typically what I'll do when I've got uh, any guest on the show, we'll, we'll run you through the Jedi trials. Uh, we haven't had anyone stumble through them yet, so you should be good to go. Um, but it's just kind of a way for the listeners to get to know you a little bit before we kind of dig into uh, your backstory. So the first question we've got is, uh, what's your favorite Star Wars movie or show? My favorite Star Wars movie is empire strikes back i don't think that requires any explanation <laughs> that's a pretty standard answer i i would have to agree with yeah. you on that yeah so pretty straightforward uh second question what's your favorite star wars character uh i would have to say han solo i know that's pretty standard and cliche as well but yeah gotta yeah. love the reluctant hero right it is what it is and uh, i guess we were lucky to have him around as long as we did i know he wanted to be killed off pretty early in the original trilogy uh, so we got we got a lot more of Han Solo than uh, than we expected to. All right. So uh, third question: What is your favorite Star Wars droid? Um, as far as my favorite character, uh, cliche again, R two. But as far as modern in terms of design, I really liked K two S O. Yeah, a lot. I I, I did really uh, grow a soft spot for K two S O. So <laughs> that's a tough one, man, but it's it's hard to it's hard to beat you know decades of history there. Right, right. Yeah. R2, uh, especially for anyone who grew up on the original trilogy, is always going to have a soft spot in, in your soul. But uh, I completely understand with K2SO, especially with Alan Tudyk voicing him. Uh, just that sarcasm was awesome, along with the the incredible design work that they did on him. So uh, I'm looking at your collection uh, there in the background. So this next question should be easy for you. Uh, but uh, what's your favorite Star Wars toy or collectible? Oh, my favorite collectible is a tough one because I would have to say it's something I got recently. It's uh, a Lucasfilm badge or pin shaped like the uh, Yavin medal. that says, uh, you know, ILM crew 2019, you know, Rise of Skywalker. So if that counts as a collectible, my favorite, you know, just because of the history behind it and, you know, the sentimental value behind it. Yeah, I saw that post out on Twitter. Um, for anyone who wants to go check that out, Yoshi has got that posted out in his Twitter feed, and it's definitely a cool piece. I mean, uh, it's one thing to to be a, a fan of Star Wars and and the films, but to actually have a piece of that and a piece of history related to that, and of course, the fact that they decided to look like that Yavin metal was pretty cool as well. Yeah, um, it's a little you know, <laughs> icing on the cake. Right, right. Yeah, you're wearing your uh, Mandalorian crew hat as well, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. That person, just because I don't like combing my hair, right? Cat so, <laughs> collection. It works out pretty well, uh, and that's a pretty unique item. Not a lot of people are toting that thing around. So, uh, last question for you: What is your favorite Star Wars memory? You mean in terms of from the movie, or just anything Star Wars related? Could be general? anything Star Wars related. Man, uh, so this is this is also pretty biased, but it was, I guess, recently. Uh, there's a little build up to this, so yeah, sorry if it's a little long winded, but my wife, of all people, was not a Star Wars fan, you know, as long as she's known me. And I've tried to get her to watch the original trilogy, I don't know how many times mm -hmm. since we, you know, even started dating, just never happened, right? And uh, she uses her feminine wiles to get out of watching them every time. So <laughs> finally, you know, her knowing that it was my dream, you know, to work on a Star Wars movie, especially being as big a Star Wars fan as I am. And being able to work on the last one in, you know, the Skywalker saga, which you know, should be the last one. Let's let's just get that out there. Right, but right. Um, so prior to the movie's release, after I got back from Singapore from working on the film, we actually sat down uh, over a couple of nights and watched pretty much everything. We're talking through Solo, 
uh, Rogue One all in order uh, up until episode eight before we went to the screening of episode nine. And uh, I guess that would be my favorite memory is walking through the the uh, Disney animation halls, you know, like a dream place to be to go to the screening of the last Skywalker movie that I was fortunate enough to work on and, you know, do some pretty iconic scenes with my wife, who is now a Star Wars fan. And uh, even though for some reason she thinks the new trilogy is better than the original, <laughs> instead of, you know, instead of the, the usual fan warfare that we, we have, I, I'm just going to, you know what? It may not be the same ones, but at least we're in the same universe and I'll, I'll take it. You know, this is something that I can share with my wife now. And she's a big fan of Ray and, yeah. <laughs> you know, the new trilogy. So, hey, you know what? If you like it, that's cool. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a kind of an interesting, an interesting point you make, because I've actually talked to some people about kind of wanting to do an episode about how, you know, people that came to Star Wars at different times tend to be attached to, to different trilogies. And it really does tend to be, you know, what's the first trilogy that they really that they really watched or, you know, what was the current one when they first started watching it. So uh, I know a number of younger kids are, are really attached to the sequel trilogy. Um, you know, some of the the teenagers are kind of tied to the prequels and certainly those of us who are more the old school fans who grew up with the original trilogy uh, are tied to those. So it, it really is an interesting dynamic, but for sure to be able to actually share that. I remember, um, you know, I ran you to the airport when we were doing ScarifCon in Chicago there and we talked about the fact that your wife was kind of resistant to watching the star wars films and uh, i didn't realize that uh, that she'd finally given in and i'm glad that she you know found found some enjoyment in there you know and and she's she's one of those people that's you name a celebrity on a tv show and she'll name the actor yeah you know, their name and who they're married to she knows all that stuff and I, you know i have no idea right and of course she sees the new trilogy and she recognizes the actors names and she's like oh you know i'll, I'll give this a shot you know yeah. It's like I said before, I'll, I'll take it. Right. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell her why the original trilogy is better, in my opinion. And, right. You know, even go so far as I'm sure you've seen online. Oh, you know what? You don't like the same thing I like? Yeah. <laughs> Unfollow me. I want a divorce. <laughs> you know, so I'll take it. Yeah. New trilogy. Whatever, I'll take it. Yeah, and again, I, I don't understand some of the extreme stuff that goes on online. I mean, I totally understand different people uh, are attached to different things. And again, each person has their own reasons for why they like what yeah. they like, and I'm happy to let them have that. Yeah, I, I feel like my perspective is it's very much like a it's a relationship. You know, mm -hmm. when you have something like Star Wars or, you know, Star Trek fans out there, Nintendo, what have you, mm -hmm. people develop a relationship with these things. And that's why we collect collectibles. You know, that's why we collect props and stuff so, to feel closer to these properties. You know, so you can watch a movie and go, I'm connected to this movie because I had that prop sitting on my shelf and it's in that movie, you know. Yeah. So I feel like when something changes, you know, like, like the new trilogy, it, it's as if the person you're with is no longer the person you knew. Right. People deal with that in different ways. Either they go, I love this new person. Either they go, you know what, we're going to go our separate ways. Or they go, I hate you. I'm going to stalk you forever now. And, you know, whoever likes you is a terrible human being. You know, that's kind of the way I see it. It yeah. really is the way people deal with relationships. It's how they deal with these, you know, properties. And yeah. it's, it's heartbreaking. Is How do you deal with heartbreak? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, a lot of people not so well, but, uh, you know, and it's, it's got to be interesting, you know, to take someone like a Mark Hamill, who, again, he talk about having a relationship with a particular character and a particular franchise. I mean, he clearly had an expectation for how Luke was going to be within the sequel trilogy. And uh, based on the way that it, you know, rolled out, it was it was kind of something that he had to adjust to, uh, given the fact that Luke was certainly in, in uh, Last Jedi a lot more uh, pessimistic, I guess, in his outlook on the universe. So um, I, I can only imagine what that was like to try to reset your mind when you've spent so much time portraying a character who was so optimistic, so outgoing, uh, and then to have to play it a different way. Oh, by the way, um, sorry to do a quick subject skip here. Oh, sure. But I did want to say before I forget, um, just so it's on record, I'm not at Lucasfilm currently. Okay. Uh, because uh, as you may be aware, I, I have a newborn yes. and I have a five-month-old daughter. So, you know, yeah. I did come home and <laughs> currently um, voluntarily unemployed, if you will. Yeah. So, you know, spending some quality time, all that good stuff. I don't blame you. And, uh, 
just to cover myself, I just wanted to be, you know, clear to everyone that everything we talk about, it's going to be my opinion and not representative of like Disney or Lucasfilm or anybody like that. So yeah, just, just so I'm covering myself. Here Perfect. Too. And I don't blame you. I mean, uh, again, I've, I've dealt with both Disney and Lucasfilm legal in the past, and uh, I know that they're pretty strict in terms of how they want things represented. So completely appreciate the fact that you're just here, yeah. uh, given your opinion of things based on your experiences. And uh, we will take it that way for sure. Awesome. So uh, now that we've got past the Jedi trials, you've passed with flying colors, obviously, again, I don't know how you fail that, but uh, uh, we'll kind of move into a little bit of your backstory and kind of how you got into uh, both visual effects, really, as well as kind of the story of how you came to work for ILM and, and were fortunate enough to get on both the Mandalorian, which uh, I think it's pretty clear to say after the end of season one, that was a, a huge hit. Um, and certainly something that you know, is, is unprecedented in terms of a quote unquote TV or uh, streaming show. Uh, and then the rise of Skywalker, like you said, I mean, for that to be the end of the Skywalker saga, to the best of our knowledge, um, that had to be, you know, a huge thing for you to work on as well. So where did that journey start for you? I mean, were you always kind of artistically inclined growing up? Yeah, I mean, I, I was always an artistic kid. I used to draw a lot in school. I took a lot of art classes, things like that. I liked to sculpt in clay. So I wasn't just you know someone that liked to draw. It was overall art, you know, sculpting. I tried wood burning. You know, everything you can you can name, I tried it. So, and and I was uh, I I I'd like to think I was you know quite exceptional at it. I, I won the Scholastic Art Award when I was in middle school. Um, and, you know, little school awards, things like that. <laughs> Even when I went to the military, uh, I was an artist recruit and later on did artwork for my unit. You know, T-shirts, coins, whatever. But it started out like with anybody, you know, watching certain movies and doing certain things and being exp inspired and wanting to be a part of it. Star Wars being one of them, Jurassic Park being the other. Um so I was introduced to Star Wars through, of all things, a kid's show called Muppet Babies. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I was, yeah, I was watching that as a kid, and they was they were using clips from Star Wars in it. Yeah. And uh, I remember going like, like what, what is that? I don't know what that is. And, you know, my family and my, my dad going, oh, that's, that's from Star Wars. And I'm like, oh, what's that? And, you know, we went to the video store which was connected to the grocery store that weekend and, <laughs> you know, rented the VHS and we watched it and, you know, I, I was hooked, but the, my journey into visual effects was actually with, uh, after seeing Jurassic Park and Terminator 2, those two were big ones, the liquid metal T-1000 and then the Matrix. And when the Matrix came out on, on, I think it came out on VHS originally and later on, on DVD. And that was the first time we got special features and I got to see all the behind the scenes stuff, the green screen stuff. Yeah. And, uh, same thing with Jurassic Park. I got to see all the behind the scenes. And then finally they released, uh, star Wars, you know, the special editions mm -hmm. <laughs> on DVD and we got all the behind the scenes stuff there. And so this was like a big explosion of, wow, I get to see how all this is done. And I get to see how my skills and experience could possibly translate into this. And, uh, so I was inspired by a hodgepodge of things. And it wasn't until later uh, I was working. I, I went to school for it, too, which is, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening or anybody can tell you how many people don't end up doing the thing they went to school for. But I went to school for it for visual communication, visual effects and all that. And after I graduated, I looked for a job here and there. Nothing came of it. And I just kind of let go of that dream. You know, it just seemed like, oh, it was fun while it lasted, but it's unrealistic. And I was working at a warehouse for Best Buy, just stacking boxes and returns and doing a little art in my free time for fun. And I saw a, a guy do a YouTube channel or a YouTube video. They call him the angry video game nerd. Yeah. And he was doing like a review of the power glove and had a bunch of people following him. And it was a great video. And I'm like, this guy's just doing this in his, in his basement. And my friend that introduced the video to me, that showed me the video, his name was David Espinoza. Yeah. And uh, it, it all links up, I promise you. This is a long story, but it all links up. Anyways, David and I went to high school together, and he was a big Star Wars fan, too. And he actually ended up working at a comic book store called Mile High Comics mm -hmm. near where we went to high school. Uh, we both went to Garden Grove High School, which is mm -hmm. the same high school that Steve Martin came uh, went to uh, and graduated from as well. But 
David and I, uh, you know, met in high school, became good friends. He went on to work on Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, too. Oh, yeah. And he did a pretty iconic uh, image that you you may have seen. It's Darth <laughs> Revan with the mask and the lightsaber. He, he digitally painted that. It was a promotional piece, I think. But anyways, he showed me this video, and I'm working in a warehouse. And I go, this guy just did this in his garage? What, what am I doing working in a warehouse? Yeah. So that's when I went home and just for fun, I, I modeled a, a DeLorean in 3D uh, to practice. And I guess one of his art directors or supervisors saw him looking at my artwork at work and said, hey, you know, once you bring this guy in, uh, we need some artists. And so he referred me in and we worked together on our first movie, uh, which was Journey to the Mysterious Island. And then shortly after that, Green Lantern, which nice. I did not write. <laughs> you want to distance yourself from that a little bit yeah <laughs> right well no i'm proud of the uh, visual side <laughs> right 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 although yeah. the, the reason i love cartoony legitimately i swear that was a note oh i'm sure like it looks too real make it cartoony yeah. so just and I could totally see that. I mean, that was certainly one of the earlier uh, comic book films that they did. And I'm sure, you know, they were trying to find, find their, uh, their place visually. Um, so yeah. And David, I mean, I've, I've definitely heard the, some of the story about you and David. Um, definitely yeah. there was we a set yeah. each other at Lucas. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. I mean, uh, and go figure. I mean, you got someone who you grew up with in high school. Um, you know, you're just good friends and, and for you guys to both get to go on this journey kind of together is pretty cool. Yeah, it's. I, I'm sure you've seen it, or if not, I can send it to you. Uh, there's a picture we took in high school uh -huh. that we photoshopped uh, to put like a pod racer, like being repaired in the background, and put lightsabers in our hands. Yeah, and uh, that was in 1999. I think we were in like junior or senior year of high school, mm -hmm. something like that. And you know, flash forward 20 years later, all of a sudden I show up at the studio in Singapore and I'm assigned a seat right next to him. And we're looking at each other. We're both senior artists. You know, we're making the Death Star right. episode nine. And then we look at each other and we go, you know, we got to recreate that picture now. So we went down <laughs> to the, you know, the the garden in front of the, the Sandcrawler building in front of the, the, the uh, Yoda statue and took a picture. You know, and That's said, awesome. hey, you know, 20 years later. <laughs> that is awesome. Did. And it's, you know, again, you probably had your share ups and downs. Uh, I, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, did you did you have uh, some experience in the Art Institutes? I did. <laughs> I went to the Art Institute and I failed. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's the perfect story of perseverance, right? It's uh, it's one of those yeah. things where and just like you were saying, you were as far away from working in visual effects as you probably could be working in a warehouse at Best Buy and, uh, you know, just kind of putting yourself out there. It is really cool. I mean, uh, we watch a lot of a lot of YouTube stuff and there's certainly a lot of people creating some incredible content on YouTube. And um, it's it's cool to think that not only are they doing that as a way to kind of support themselves and, and put their art out there, but it's inspiring other people. And then those individuals are going on to do things that are certainly hugely mainstream. I know that for you, you've uh you've done some video game work i believe before you got into the the movie side of things but um you'd also worked on i think walking dead and empire and some pretty uh pretty big name hit shows uh and then kind of folded right into some of these films that we're we're totally loving right now well yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird hearing it like that it's it was something i was talking to one of my good friends about we actually went to college together and uh uh, so I, I'm, I was invited to speak at a, not speak, but be a guest at a, a convention. And so he's looking at me like you, you're going to a convention. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I just did a podcast too. And he goes, really you. And so he looks at the convention advertisement and it shows my picture and it lists like, Oh, you know, senior artists for episode nine and, you know, walking dead and, and, and all the stuff, you know, you were talking about. And he goes, well, I mean, I guess everything they're saying is technically true. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Like being on the other side of it. It's right. Just, For you, it's going to work every day, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of the shows you mentioned, you got to remember, like I work on, if you look at my MDB, I work on so many shows that I guarantee like more than half of them you've never heard of. Right. So you, you don't know what's going to be a hit, you know, when you're working on it or what's not. So I, I work on something like, you know, the Orville and it's like, Oh, so this looks like some cheesy little sci-fi thing. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's a hit. Right. And, and I got to, you know, partially design, I don't want to say design from scratch. Cause they gave me like a silhouette that I had to kind of follow, but like 
Seth MacFarlane's little vehicle that he drove or whatever in, in the first episode. And uh, me and my friend did San Francisco for uh, the pilot of the Orville. You know, it's one of those things where it became a hit. Right. And everyone was like, oh, you worked on the Orville? And I'm like, well, you know, to be fair, I had no idea. It was, you know, I can tell you 90 other things that you've never heard of, never went past the pilot. For know? sure. Yeah, it was interesting when I, uh, you know, I, my wife's always asking, what are you going to do for the podcast this week? And I said, I've got, you know, Yoshi is coming on. You know, he's the guy that I met out at, uh, at Scarif Con back in November. And he's going to come on and talk about, you know, the visual effects work and all that. And she looked up your IMDB and she was kind of looking down the list of all the stuff you worked on. And she's like, oh my God, it's like, it's, it's the who's who of pop culture for the last 10, 15 years. Uh, and again, like you said, I mean, it's probably not how you're looking at it because those hit shows get kind of interspersed with all this other stuff that most people never hear about, but, uh, it's yeah. really cool. There's, there's a lot of stuff in there that, um, you know, every, uh, everyone who listens to this podcast is going to be able to go out and probably think of something that you've, that you've worked on. And that's, uh, that's pretty cool legacy to leave really. So, so full disclosure, it's just because I'm a really big geek and I just want to be able to sign my, my own props and stuff. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I, you know what? If that were the case, I wouldn't blame you in the least. I, I think everyone's kind of got those nerd dreams. I talked to Dominic Pace uh, a couple of months ago and, you know, the fact that he had worked on The Mandalorian um, and now he's doing the cons and, you know, people are making replicas of his character and, you know, the weapon that he held and everything. And he's got still shots of, you know, himself and, uh, and Carl Weathers it's it's one of those things that you know it's you look back on it i'm sure you're going to look back at it years from now and yeah. think you know that was a pretty cool thing to be able to be a part of i'm i'm hoping that the two or three primary shots that i worked on that i was a senior that i was a senior excuse me senior artist on and the primary artist on become posters or prints from episode nine because yeah. you know that would just be icing on the cake yeah so I, one of those guys that was it spent two minutes on screen in the background <laughs> in any star Wars property. And is now yep. making a living going to conventions for the rest of his life. You know? yeah, there's, there's worse ways to make a living. So yeah, why don't we use that? We'll just roll right into kind of, why don't you tell us a little bit about the stuff that you did get to work on within episode nine and, uh, and what was that like? Oh uh, yeah. So originally when I, when I got to Lucasfilm, I was assigned to the Mandalorian and, you know, already that was already awesome. I was, you know, hoping every day, like, come on, you know, you got to need some help on episode nine and yada, yada, yada. And uh, it certainly helps that I'm a big Star Wars geek, along with my friend David. And he was leading up the Death Star wreckage oh, for, yeah, for episode nine. And all of a sudden he turns to me, he goes, Yoshi, you know, I could really use your help. And I'm like, you know what? Ask me twice. I'm in. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> like, I mean, who's going to say no to that? Uh, I can't think and of anybody, so, really. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, uh, you watch the special features, I'm sure. Well, it's not out yet, so. Uh, but I will be, for sure. Uh, the books, the, mm -hmm. the art books and stuff that are out, I think they do show some of the, the layouts we had. So I, I did have, you know, a basic blueprint, like a basic layout. Like, this is this is how it should look. This is what pieces sit where in the art direction and all that. But Within that, I got to have some, you know, getting to have that creative freedom to go, okay, how do I make this recognizable as the Death Star mm -hmm. is one of the best feelings in the history of the world. So uh, my shots include right when, so spoiler alert, right when mm -hmm. Ray um, gets the skiff and she goes out onto the water. So when it breaks that first wave and you see, you know, the, the, the dish, the recognizable dish, that wasn't me. That was, um, I believe that was another artist. Her name was Noor. Mm -hmm. Awesome. She's awesome. Uh, uh, she did the whole top part. And then as you go in, there's a, a, a camera angle looking down, you see the entrance to the death star, sure. a little wreckage. Uh, what would you call it? Just like a rent uh, in the outer, outer canyon, skin of it. Yeah. Cavern, canyon. Yeah, right. So the top half of that was done by another artist um, named Jun Wei, but I did the bottom half, the entrance, mm -hmm. uh, so that when the camera angle switches to first viewing in and you peer into the darkness, that was that was all me. You know, so they're like, okay, we basic notes are like, oh, we want, you know, like something on the right side that kind of gives danger. We, you know, so yeah. the, for an artist perfect you give me enough notes to work within your guidelines but enough freedom mm -hmm. that i can feel like this is mine you right. know so you know i got to look at 
uh, I'm looking through books of Death Star blueprints and, you know, like Death Star art. And I'm looking through the database at like the old original matte paintings for Re- Return of the Jedi. And I'm zooming in the matte paintings. and They are super detailed, super high res. And so I'm zooming in like, OK, it, they, they have the wreckage kind of looking this way. And um, there's these uh, red scaffolding for when the incomplete area. So I took that into account. And I'm trying to think like, okay, and this is part of the reason I feel like they assigned it to me is I'm like, okay, so if this was the Death Star and it blew up, how would this piece end up here? What would make sense that would fall into this area and all that stuff? And I tried to make it so that you could peer into the darkness, you know, into the shot and you could see like the outline of, you know, it's not much, but you can instantly recognize it as an outline of like a hangar bay. Yeah. As a little, that little divot you know and it's little things like that that are just enough so so that the fans can feel appreciated you know they're like hey this is something you know um trying to draw back on imagery so i also did the following shot where it's an establishing shot where the camera pans in Mm -hmm. uh with the tie fighter wrecked on the left side there's uh you know it zooms in and there's a if you look off the distance there's a little uh transport shuttle a little shuttlecraft um so I didn't make that from scratch, of course. Uh, every, uh, you know, I'm at Lucasfilm. We have a library. <laughs> but uh, I did get to build a lot of stuff, uh, and there was a lot of help from another artist named Ye who did some fine-tuning and did a beautiful job lighting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is a team effort, you know. And then once we get to the exterior when they're fighting, uh, you know, they have those long strips that they were fighting on. Yep. I didn't do those. Uh, but me and David did the Death Star in the background. Unfortunately, because of all the waves and fog and rain, you don't see too much of it, but we did do, you know, the little Death Star rings you kind of see and the scaffolding on the inside. I did all the internal scaffolding um, based on the original miniatures or bigatures, you know, if you want to call it that. So, you know, I got to look at all those and base it on that. Like, okay, this is that part and just kind of line it up and, yeah. So, and then the last scene that I that uh, I did in the movie, which was actually the first scene that I was assigned, unfortunately, is the the other spoiler scene, where Kylo Ren, you know, he's trying to get the strength to figure out what he has to do, and he turns around and you see uh, Han Solo. So that was the very first shot I was assigned. They're like, okay, this is like <laughs> a diving board type shape platform. You gotta you gotta make some wreckage here and do the shot and like light it and put the clouds in and all that in the background. So I'm, I'm working on that shot and I, I played through it when I get first assigned it and it shows Kylo and he turns around and I see Han Solo's face and I go, what? Yeah, exactly. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> you don't get the spoiler then, alert warning, right? No. And then, so David who sits next to me, but his desk is to my left, but slightly shifted forward. Uh-huh. And so, so the desks are staggered. Right. Um, so he hears me go, what? So he gets up and he leans over to look at my screen and I'm trying to go, no, 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 no. And he goes, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Curiosity, so, man. It's the worst. Yeah. So uh, so obviously I when, when the movie you know was finished and the, the people that had already seen it, they were telling me, they're like, oh, so do you know about the spoiler about who's in it? I'm like, I know, I know he's in it, but I don't know if he's a ghost, a force ghost. I hope not. Yeah. I don't know if he's a vision. I don't know if he's hallucinating. Don't tell me. I don't want to know any more than I already know. Like yeah. this is this is already terrible that I know he's in yeah. it. <laughs> that is, I mean, that would certainly it would certainly be painful. I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting. Uh, I, I always try to stay as spoiler free as I can for the films, just because I want to get the you know the actual raw emotion. And I can imagine that that that's kind of one of those things you feel maybe a little bit cheated on when uh, when you get something spoiled like that in the you know process of actually building it. So quick question for you, you know, you talk about some of these shots and how there's portions of them that are done by different artists. Do you guys kind of uh, collaborate together to make sure that you're being consistent with how that overall shot's going to play out? Or is it pretty independent in terms of, you know, it's, it's just uh, assume that you're going to work together. We work very closely with each other. And uh, anyone who works in entertainment, they can tell you uh, if you're familiar with dailies mm-hmm. where you go in each day and you review the shots and stuff you did that day. And you're supposed to do that every day for people who, who you know, who aren't in the knowledge with about that. You're supposed to do that every day just so everybody stays on track. And um, it's one of the things that I think indie films fail the most on. And 
for indie filmmakers out there, you'd be surprised how much staying organized and just doing a quick check every day, where are we at, what do we have, will help you. Anyways, so there we have like dailies, noonlies, you name it. Okay. Desk, desk side, it's mm-hmm. all like scheduled out. Like, oh, we're going to go to your desk. Because if it's a shot where you don't need to bring it into dailies, like bring it into the theater and show it on the projector, mm-hmm. uh, and it's something that the supervisor or the client, you know, um, you know what I mean when I say client, but yeah. when the client's there, <laughs> they can sit desk side, look over your shoulder and go, okay, I like this, change this. So it's, it's, everybody's on the same page right. for the most part. I right. mean, there are hiccups, you know, we're all human. It happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the usual hiccup is usually if somebody, you know, spends the whole day, they get lost. Uh, when I say lost, I mean like you have your headphones on, you're working and mm-hmm. you just lose track of time. Sometimes it's like, Oh crap. Noonly's happened. Oh, I, I missed the round of notes. I, I probably spent, you know, too much time going in the wrong direction. Right. But for the most part, the leadership team, at Lucasfilm is extremely efficient and proficient at what they do. You know, obviously they have a reputation there. And, you know, when I first started there, it, I was in awe of the talent, you know, just like, wow. And I had this guy coming in, you know, telling me, Oh, Yoshi, you did this. Like, good, good job. This looks great. You know, the, the water coming down, this looks so cool. And, um, this is the art director for like episode two through now. Oh, wow. You know, and he's yeah. telling me this looks cool. And it's like, holy crap, dude. <laughs> and it's it's weird for me being a fan because you got to you got to remember a lot of these guys, you know, you'd be surprised. Not not everybody's a fan of, you know, everything. Of course, we have Star Wars fans that work at Lucasfilm, but there's also diehard fans of people that aren't really as much fans. They might be fans of like the Marvel films or Indiana Jones or something else that Lucasfilm does. But they're talented artists. But me being a super fan, I remember after we got our our media stuff we got our posters the first thing i did was i used it as an excuse to go hey for memories i walked to every artist's desk that worked on it with a gold sharpie it was like could you sign my poster could you sign my poster and so i'm holding on to that and so for example the, for the mandalorian i got all the crew that worked on it to sign it for me and uh i met up with dominic pace and he signed it too you know, he was awesome. in it I'm like you know you got to sign it too why not right yeah i mean again this is a little bit of history and like you said i mean when you're a fan to have those things uh it's just that extra little thing that you know you can't purchase for the most part it's it's just uh you were in the right place at the right time and you had that experience and i'm sure you weren't the other one oh the only one going around trying to get signatures on your uh, on your artwork so uh i imagine that was probably something that a few people were doing um so i I wasn't the only one but it it wasn't as many as you think you know i think because one of them uh, you know, I, I knew I was, I was leaving, you yeah. know, I knew I had a, a daughter being born. So I knew I was, I was done. Right. So for me, it was like easy to go get signatures, but sure. I'm sure a lot of people there, they don't because, you know, you're there every day for years. It's like, yeah. what are you going to do this every movie? Oh, right. <laughs> just, just the massive ones like we're talking about here. Um, so yeah, you mentioned also that you were working on the Mandalorian. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, what do you got to work on for the Mandalorian and, and how many episodes you got to play with there? Uh, I worked on episode four, uh, which is the first appearance of uh, Cara Dune. Mm-hmm. The sequence I worked on was the ATST coming through the woods. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I wish I made the ATST. I did. That was <laughs> uh, what I did was the grass and the dirt and the environment, you know, all that stuff. Uh, when she pops out of the water and shoots, that was that was me. And I did another scene where um, – the Mando, he takes off his helmet mm-hmm. and he sets it down on the counter and then like you see out the window, but they don't show it. Yeah. So everything you see out the window except the people is a matte painting. Oh. Uh, well, it's a combination of CG and matte painting, sure. but it, it's a flat. Uh, I don't want to say flat because it's not flat, but right. it's, you know, it's digitally painted. Yep. Uh, that was one of the shots I had and we had to because I didn't really have any other reference and I had to, I, I knew which buildings were where, mm-hmm. but at the time, because the show wasn't complete, I didn't, we didn't have finished versions of what everything looked like yet. Right. So I, I had to kind of just, I, I wouldn't say make it up, but kind of like piece together based on what I could see from other angles and other shots, what they were looking at out that window. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, I mean, I know you talked in, in some of your past interviews that you've done uh, with Scarif Podcast about that whole thing about working in a place like that around so many talented individuals. And you kind of get that imposter syndrome, like you're expecting that people are going to realize you don't belong there. I, I've got to imagine when you've got something like uh, episodes of The Mandalorian and Rise of the Skywalker under your belt, that kind of fades a little bit. Um, but, you know, kind of where was that when you left? Uh, it still feels kind of the same. It feels like I got two lucky flukes on my record. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just every time it feels like I'm like, yeah, man, I'm so lucky. It just keeps happening. And it, and it, it, like I said, it still feels that way. It's hard to shake the feeling, you know, and, and this, the supervisor there, he, uh, he was just here actually. Um, one of, one of my, we became pretty good friends. Uh, he was here hanging out, but he told me he's, you know, it stuck with me. And I don't want to say I don't believe him, but it's one of those like, eh, you're just saying that because you're my friend, you know. Right. But he said like, um, every everybody that's here is talented, and everybody that's here is here for a reason, and you're here for a reason. Right. And I was like, yeah, it's because you haven't seen my stuff here yet. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen me work yet. Maybe once you see it, you'll figure it out. And then you do it and you get compliments on the work. So uh, I'd, I'd have to say he's probably right on that one. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah. It just, it just means you're, uh, you got your head screwed on straight that you, uh, you appreciate the fact that you get to work on stuff like that. And uh, certainly a good thing that you've got the, the talent to back it up. Um, Cause I, I don't know, I can speak for myself, Mandalorian and Rise of Skywalker. I mean, visually and, and the way that those films were done uh, were just, they were just amazing. So uh, the yeah. film and the TV series. So um, certainly uh, I think that episode was called Sanctuary for uh, the Mandalorian and um I, I was a little surprised it took Cara Dune so long to finally show up in an episode. Um, but it was really a great way to establish her character. And uh, sounds like you were a big part of that. Oh, it was a, uh, it was lucky for me because, uh, so she's played by Gina Carano, mm -hmm. who I am a huge fan of. You have no idea. Like I'm talking about from before she even started acting. Right. I used to watch MMA. Fight and, XC and uh, her Muay Thai matches. So, so I was, uh, I'm a big MMA fan, first of all. So I was a big fan of hers from before. And I was a big Star Wars fan. So when they announced that she was being part of the Mandalorian, I was like, oh, two things that, you know, I'm big fans of are going to come together. That's awesome. And then I got assigned to the, to the, to, to the show and I'm like, oh, even better. And I find out later on, and I didn't know this until I, I started watching the show because I'm isolated to just the scenes I'm working on. Right. I have no idea of the story, uh, except for enough to do my job. And, uh, I watched the show and it's the first appearance of Gina Carano in a Star Wars show that I worked on. And I worked on one of her scenes. And I'm like, oh, wow. Now, if only I could get her to sign my poster, I would be in business. <laughs> you got to work through Dominic and see if he has any connections. Uh, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Either that or just have John Favreau over to the house and I'm sure he can work it out for you. <laughs> That's exactly how my life goes. I just bump elbows. <laughs> As you, as you should. Um, okay. So I do have a question for you. As I was, as I was doing a little research before we did the interview, I know that, um, you had posted on Twitter at one point talking about wanting to be in a con and to be able to do a panel on, uh, kind of the common misunderstandings that are out there with regards to kind of how and why uh, visual effects are used. Um, and what, what would you have to tell people about that? Well, the two biggest things is, uh, a, I, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of people, and I'm sure you hear this a lot. A lot of people clump CG all together. Mm -hmm. They'll say, "Oh, CG looks bad. It looks like video games. It looks fake." But I don't understand why that doesn't apply to any other areas. Like, people don't say, "Oh, stop motion looks fake," or "Oh, practical effects look fake." It's like no, because some look good and some look bad. Uh, the majority of the work I do, I, I guarantee most people would not know is CG. Uh, for example, I worked on um, NCIS, mm -hmm. and a lot, uh, I did torsos, <laughs> CG torsos. The actors that are laying on the table or on the ground that are supposed to be dead, they breathe. Right. So we make CG torsos to replace them so they don't breathe, little things like that. Uh, a lot of set extensions people don't realize. It's it's only um, the only time people really know is it's when it's something that's very obviously not real. Like, right. obviously – 
this actress is not jumping over a TIE fighter. You know, yeah. that's not happening. <laughs> there, obviously, we don't have a dragon coming in and smashing buildings. Right. It's, so those things people will, will, will stick to and notice right away. And, and the problem is with CG, there's no, there's not a lot of leeway. Uh, with practical effects, you can get it 90% of the way there and it still is considered good looking. People can know it's practical and still consider it good looking. For example, Return of the Living Dead, mm -hmm. that slimy zombie that comes out of the barrel. I'm sure you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yep. It's For me, I look at it, I know it's a guy in a suit. It's clearly practical to me, but that right. doesn't change the fact that to me it looks great. Right. And obviously it's because it's physically there and, that's, and there's an argument to be made for that. But with CG, you're either 99% or 100% of the way there or you look bad. Yeah. There's like no middle ground. Yeah. It, it, you're either all there or you're not. And so I, 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 I want people to realize that it's not all bad, you know, and a lot of the stuff, like I said, you don't even know a lot of vehicle replacements. When we shoot period TV shows or movies, it takes place in the fifties or seventies or stranger things. You can't drive around in open roads and cities and not see modern cars right. when you replace them in CG. I've done that plenty of times. Yeah. Uh, replacing buildings, for example, I replace. Uh, if you're familiar in Los Angeles, there's a Peterson Auto Museum, mm -hmm. but it was remodeled in the early 2000s. I think they changed the exterior of the building. So, for I think the show is called Unsolved. Mm -hmm. It was about the Tupac Shakur and Biggie Smalls shootings. Yep. I had to make a CG Peterson Auto Museum because they filmed on location and the streets are the same, but the building's different. Yeah, I replaced the building. You know, so that's one of them, and. Uh, one of the other things is a lot of times, and this is not an excuse for bad CG. Sometimes bad CG is just bad CG. Right. Um, there's something that I think a lot of clients don't understand. Not a lot. Some clients don't understand that just because it's CG and you can change it on the fly, it doesn't mean you should because right. it still requires time like any other art form to make it look good, to dial in everything, to fine tune little cracks on the skin, little wrinkles, individual hairs, little things that make it all come together. Yeah. Uh, a perfect example is Blade Runner 2049. Mm -hmm. The team that did the young Rachel, mm -hmm. I think it was done flawlessly. They had time to do the little flyaways, you know, little stray hair. Sure. Everything was done very, very well. But then you have some movies like the remake of The Thing, mm -hmm. where you have producers come in <laughs> or studio yeah, involvement right. saying, we don't like this, change it. Mm -hmm. And then everybody rushes to change it to according to what the studio likes. And then next thing you know, you get everybody crapping all over the CG artist. Like, oh, you made this crappy CG alien and it looks terrible. And if you would have done practical... And thankfully, the, the studio that did the practical side, they released a video on YouTube talking about it. And they did say, like, hey, the CG team was rushed. We made this practical thing, and it looked amazing. And my opinion is not CG over practical or practical over CG. My opinion is do what works best for any given scenario that will give you the best results. Right. Uh, I think Guillermo del Toro is excellent at this. If you look at Hellboy, for example, Abe Sapien, mm -hmm. his eyes blinking. Yep. I think those are CG eyes but it's a practical suit. Right. Same thing with um, a lot of the suits, they enhance it with CG. Uh, you know, so it's, that's just one of the things I just want people to understand. You know, it's yeah. not, oh, just because it's CG means it's bad. Right. And that's just, that's just the, the two biggest, uh, I guess, things that are pet peeves. Yeah. And it's interesting too. I mean, sometimes, sometimes when CG gets knocked down, it's because the entire scene is just clearly so fantastical. There's nothing kind of rooting it in the real world. Um, again, that's, this is one of the things that my wife has a big pet peeve on in films. And in some cases it's been like, you know, the scenes of Asgard or whatever in the Marvel films, because everything there is for the most part CG, then there's really nothing to kind of anchor your mind in reality. Um, but you know, there's a lot of places as well where CG gets used, uh, and it's just kind of enhancing, like you said, a shot, um, where you wouldn't even notice. I mean, I don't even think about it when you talk about, um, you know, doing the, the overlays for vehicles and things like that for, uh, for period pieces. Um, it wouldn't even occur to me that that was a use of CG and, uh, and clearly it's used pretty regularly. Yeah. And for example, uh, you talk about Asgard, uh, a, a lot of times, and this is, this is something I don't always agree with mm -hmm. is 
the client will ask for things to be punched up in a certain way that would not be physically possible in the real world just because it is CG. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, or they want, and that happens a lot when they go, they have an actor lit a certain way on set and they go, well, actually I want this backlit. And they go, well, now the actor doesn't look like he belongs there. He just looks like he's cut and pasted. And we have to do a lot of finagling to like try to fake it and like, okay, well maybe if I pretend there's like, a reflected light here that might work. And, and so something with Asgard, you know, I'm not saying this is the case. I don't know. I didn't work on that project, sure. but I could even imagine uh, whether it was a correct choice or not. Something like, Oh, we want it to be a little more vibrant than mm-hmm. it is on earth because we want this to read as there's something a little off. This isn't earth. This is an alien world, but we want it to be familiar, you know, and whether or not that was a case and whether or not it was successful, I don't know. That could be right, argued, right. but we do get those kind of notes sometimes, uh, like I said, with <laughs> Green Lantern. But <laughs> so, you know, what are, what are you going to do, right? right. They, they, pay, they, they, they sign the paychecks, so yep. you, you, do, you do what you're told. Yeah, and again, I, I made this point in uh, another podcast that I join on once in a while called Hyperion Adventures Podcast. And we talked about, you know, some of the acting uh, that has occurred within some of the Star Wars films, certainly within some of the prequel films. Uh, and how the actors, you know, get get pegged on that. But again, they're taking the direction of of whoever that director is, and they're delivering the performance that they're being asked to deliver. So if that turns out to be something that the fans don't like, again, it's kind of like your situation. You know, you guys are just delivering on the shots that you're being asked to create. Uh, and like you said, you do get a certain amount of creative liberty there but you still have to deliver what they're asking for and for, you know, the, the folks working on the visual effects to, to take the brunt of the criticism there. Again, you're turning out what, what you're being asked to turn out. So, um, and it's, it's a testament to the work you guys do that in most cases, like you said, most people wouldn't even be able to pick out, uh, what's, you know, the VFX and what is just practical effects or part of the shot. Yeah. An an example I use an older one is, uh, something about Mary. Yeah. Uh, Fun fact, a lot of people don't know, Ben Stiller is allergic to dogs. That is not a real dog. That is crazy. But you don't pick up on it because you're not looking for it. Right. Why would you ever assume there's a CG dog? Right. So what happens is, you know, the opposite of when you see a dragon. As soon as you see a dragon, you're like, that's not real. What are all the things wrong with it? You start picking. It all falls apart, you know? Yeah. It's like when people don't like a movie, you know, like like we talk about, you know, different fans of the different parts of the Star Wars um, you know, saga, once you made up your mind, I feel like a lot of people have it like uh, in, in, what do you call it? Like a confirmation bias, like an opinion bias. Like once they made up their mind that they don't like it, they're going to find all the things wrong with it. Right. Just like when you like something, you're going to forgive a lot of flaws. Like, Oh, but Luke kissed, you know, Leia kissed Luke. Ah, but you know, whatever. (laughs) They (laughs) didn't know what the time military trained men with armor with rocks and arrows eh, you know but whatever right. <laughs> we don't call them ewoks on this show we call them murder bears but uh <laughs> i mean they are pretty deadly scare, scare bears <laughs> right the scare bears so yeah and i mean it's it's uh again it's a testament to the work that you guys do that everything t- has turned out so well uh i know that uh, there's kind of a a a gap, I guess, between uh, the critics and the fans in terms of how the last film was rated. Uh, I think the critics are being overly harsh on it personally, but uh, it was certainly a, a pretty satisfying way to end the saga. And visually, like I said, it was uh, it was stunning, um, especially the, the Death Star wreckage. I was going to ask. I mean, uh, so the 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 Sith army knife, as I called it in my review of the film, uh, um, you know, you've got the, uh, the shape of the blade that kind of had to match the wreckage. So it'd be interesting to know who ended up having to work on that shot and make sure that all matched up. But, uh, yeah, his name was, uh, I'll say his first name. It was June way. Okay. For awesome guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I, am fairly certain it was him lining yeah. it up. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I, I think obviously I, it was, separated just so we could have some control if yeah. I'm not mistaken, but yeah. don't quote me on that. I, I, I didn't work on it, but I, I vaguely remember seeing him work on it. So I, uh, you know, you line it up and yeah, 
No, I there's guess. also some magic in that, you know, and, and making sure it doesn't line up too much so it doesn't look mechanical. Right. So it doesn't look like, oh, there's a <laughs> robot sliding and in the place. You know, so. How convenient. But uh, yeah, I thought you guys did an amazing job. And certainly you don't get the recognition you deserve uh, when you look at the credits. I mean, you guys are all kind of packed together in, in one area, but uh, certainly none of these films would be anything like what we what we uh, go and see in the, in the theater without you guys doing the work behind the scenes. So thank you so much for what you do uh, appreciate you coming Thank on the you. show and kind of talking about it a little bit and it was really cool to catch up with you again yeah, absolutely yeah so yeah we'll definitely be in touch uh thanks again yoshi appreciate you coming on and we will talk to you soon absolutely you have a good one so thank you again to Yoshi Vu for taking time out of his schedule to join us and talk a little bit about what goes into the visual effects for something like The Mandalorian and The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, certainly, I got a chance to meet Yoshi back at uh, ScarifCon that we had back on November 17th of this past year. And uh, just a, a great guy. Uh, flew out for that event um, that day and actually flew home that evening. So definitely uh, dedicated to kind of the Star Wars fandom. And uh, again, the the folks that work on these projects, um, certainly anyone other than the big name actors really don't get the recognition they deserve. Uh, and they are a huge part of the final product that we get to see on screen. So definitely a shout out to Yoshi and all the folks who work behind the scenes to make all this content so wonderful. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we do have some Holonet news stories of the week, and we'll dive right into those. The first is that The Rise of Skywalker has finally hit a billion dollars on the uh, box office earnings chart, so uh, well-deserved for that film. Uh, I know that there is a little bit of controversy, I guess, uh, regarding how, how that movie has been ac uh, accepted by various people. Um, it's got a pretty wide gap between the, uh, the critical reviews for that film and as well as what the audience box, uh, sorry, the uh, audience ratings have been. So uh, right now on Rotten Tomatoes, it's sitting at 52%, which I think is incredibly harsh. Uh, and the audience score is at uh, about 86%. So uh, it gets pinged for, for a lack of imagination, but uh, I do think it's going to be kind of interesting as time goes on to see what uh, what comes out regarding how much of this was actually J.J.'s vision, uh, how much of it may have been uh, kind of adapting to the fact that The Last Jedi took the saga down uh, a path that kind of wasn't maybe what was originally envisioned, and, uh, you know, how much of, of trying to get things back on track uh, is what led to the rise of Skywalker seeming like it was a bit rushed at points. Um, again, I said it last week and I'll say it again that I thought that it could have definitely been a longer film. I would have appreciated a little bit more uh, kind of exposition on some of those scenes, but uh, it is what it is. Hopefully we get a chance to see a director's cut at some point. And I definitely think that, uh, that it's a very entertaining film and something that is going to fit well into kind of the pantheon of all the Star Wars films. So hopefully uh, over time, the, the reception of that kind of gets maybe uh, softened a little bit in terms of its critical reception, but uh, the only time will tell with that. So the other big story of the week is that Disney has decided to move up the release of Disney Plus to their European market. Uh, it was originally going to be at the very end of March, but now that has been moved up to March 24th of 2020. And they've also released some pricing. So the streaming service is going to cost uh, £5.99 or €6.99 per month or £59.99 or €69.99 per year. So uh, definitely going to be nice, I think, for our European listeners to finally get a chance to have access to not just The Mandalorian, but also the remainder of the streaming content. They have all the Star Wars films, minus The Rise of Skywalker, out there on the streaming platform right now, as well as you know all the animated shows, The Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels, Resistance, and the Lego Star Wars series. Um, as well as a couple of documentaries, including The Empire of Dreams, uh, which is kind of the, the overview of the making of the original Star Wars trilogy. Um, and also the Imagineering Story series, which is out there on Disney Plus, is great because it has a lot of information regarding kind of the genesis and, and the building of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at the Disney parks. So um, kind of to that effect, uh, the other Holonet news story of the week that I will point out is that Rise of the Resistance, which we reviewed a couple weeks ago, and if you have not heard that episode, definitely go check it out. Um, 
has been now opened at the Disneyland Resort. So all of our uh, listeners out there on the West Coast are finally going to get a chance to go see that kind of in their home park and uh, looking forward to hearing what the reviews and the stories are going to be out of that. It sounds like it's being opened in very much the same way as it's been operating down at Walt Disney World Resort with uh, that virtual queuing system with the boarding groups being implemented. Uh, So just anyone who's going out there to attempt to ride that attraction, you definitely have to be in the park at Park Open uh, and be ready to grab a boarding group on the My Disney Experience app. Uh, But there's no real advantage to getting to the park, uh, you know, hours and hours before the gates open. So save yourself some time, get a little extra sleep, and uh, just make sure that you've got a good connection. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to pull a boarding group and get to ride that attraction because it is definitely epic. So... With that being said, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it for the week. Again, if you want to help grow the podcast, please tell a friend about us. Um, If you don't like the podcast, tell someone you don't like. Uh, We're not picky. If you want to reach out to us, I would love to hear your thoughts on the Rise of Skywalker. Um, We're going to do some polls out on, I believe, Twitter uh, to see if you guys would be interested in possibly doing some live streams from time to time. So check out our Twitter feed uh, and see if you want to vote in that particular poll. And again, we can be reached on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest at JTA Podcast and uh, via email, jtapodcast at gmail.com, and all of our episodes are located on our website at jtapodcast.com. So uh, with that being said, you guys have a wonderful week. We look forward to bringing you another show next week. Uh, We're going to be doing some fun collaborations with other podcasts. And uh, again, I'm going to be on a live stream with Scarif tonight, so check that out. Uh, That will be out on YouTube under the Scarif Podcast channel. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. And may the force be with you.